How about this fucking team right here? Dustin Brown, short-handed for LA. Score! Here is Goligoski. He gets leveled at the blue line by Dowdy. Food for it, cheer for uh, Kind of like it. Richard throws it in front. Carter scores! Well done, boy. There's some swagger. Push come to shove. We're going to get it done. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thanks Bud Podcast. I am Chanel Berlin. And I'm Diane Fan. We are going to talk about two games um, because we didn't post a recap for the Boston game. So in addition to talking about, obviously, how frustrating that Detroit Red Wings game was, we're going to talk about some positive stuff with the Kings, too. I guess I want to start by letting you know where the Kings stand now. They have a record of 27, 14, and 5. They played three games this week. They won one, lost one in overtime, and then lost one in regulation. I feel terrible about those games. Um, Except for the Boston game, which of course was lovely. But um, it's just very frustrating to see them have a great game like they had in Boston and then to not have that same sort of like jump or momentum to go into last night's game against the Red Wings. And they were just so sloppy. It was so unfortunate. Uh, So many turnovers, really dumb penalties. I will say that I was exceedingly pleased during the Boston game when it was the Bruins that were getting all of the penalties. I was like, way to be Kings. Because every time I heard the whistle go, I was like, oh no, did the Kings get a penalty? But it was always for the Bruins. So good job on that one. Yeah, the Boston game was definitely a positive change. For the Kings, they drew six penalties, I believe, or they they had the main advantage six times. Mm-hmm. Awesome. They capitalized on one of them, which is good. They have, and actually this week, except with the exception of um, the Red Wings game last night, where they did, they were down a man four times, which is always frustrating. Those other two games, it, I, they took like two penalties, and that's great. I would like them to do more of that. And even, you know, last night, the positive from that, despite taking all of those penalties as they killed them all, one of the penalty kills in particular was really, really, really great. The frustrating part about both of the losses is that, once again, they were games where they completely dominated in possession and had plenty of chances. They had 45 shots on goal last night. That's insane. Unable to capitalize on any of those scoring chances except for one. That might have been the worst part, is that there were 45 shots, and just knowing that none of them made it in. Although there were were some, like, good quality shots. Trevor Lewis had a shot on goal that was nice, but nothing else. Yeah, he also had a a chance early on. It wasn't a shot on goal, unfortunately, because it got deflected wide, but it was one of those ones where, you know, he was right there, he tried to deflect it, it could have been perfect. I just feel like that's indicative of his entire season, but also just the Kings problem right now where they get set up for these awesome opportunities sometimes, but they're just off the mark. There's so many chances that are just off the mark. Matt Fratton had a great shot, hit the post last night, and then he never scores again. He, Him and Mike Richards also had another opportunity where they were passing back and forth right in front of the net. Mike Richards has an opportunity to tip it in. It doesn't go. And I feel like that's just the story for the Kings. They get really close. They get these opportunities. Nothing doing. And it's super frustrating to see. 
because it keeps happening. And it especially happens for some reason when they completely just clean the floor with other teams. I really thought that Mike Richards and Matt Fratton were going to get something yesterday. I mean, yeah. it's silly to think because they have been doing literally nothing for the past however many weeks, but they were just trying so hard. Mike Richards in particular had a little bit of that like feistiness back in him, but definitely thought that with how hard they, they were working, they were going to get one. But unfortunately, as we say so many times, they just didn't get a bounce to go their way. They continue to have terrible puck luck. And not that I want to blame everything on that, but the Kings PDO, if you look at it, it's just dropped since that game that shootout win against the Avalanche, which their PDO was like 108 or something crazy from there, which is like a peak of, you know, recent weeks. Then it just nose dives and it's still diving. And now overall they have a PDO just under 100. So they're in an unlucky stretch, mostly due to obviously the scoring troubles. Last night, also Jonathan Quick had his weakest game back. He had, I think, 26 shots against and let in three goals, which is not helping anybody. And none of them were particularly awful goals. But again, as is the story with the Kings so often, if you're going to have these scoring troubles, you have to have your goaltenders be absolutely perfect. And he wasn't last night. So now since his return, he's and the team is 2-1-1. One, one. Kyle Clifford and Jake Muzzin certainly didn't help matters yesterday in terms of I still have the image of Kyle Clifford just like falling to the ice and sliding into the boards uh, and then a goal being scored. So that's unfortunate. And damn it, Muzzin came back full force twice last night. Damn it, Muzzin. But it was terrible. It was awful. I hated it so much. And that's the thing. Like, that's the other big thing is the Kings don't make a whole lot of just egregious errors. But when they do, they end up in their net and it's like c- come on really like you, you're gonna dominate and then collapse in this way that allows another team a perfect opportunity I feel like another example of that was the first score or the first goal I'm sorry that the Red Wings scored traffic everybody's sort of trying to make something happen sort of pops out quicks out of position especially because everybody's right there in front of him so he can't see anything and a Red Wings player is right there to just yeah you know bat it in a little bit Super easy. Batted in for his first goal in the NHL, uh, which since in the last two games, there have been two players from each one from each team, obviously, that has scored their first NHL goal against the Kings. So if you've got a rookie who has been struggling to score their first goal, maybe they're like kind of like a Linden Bay where they have like five (laughs) assists, but no goal. Just send them on over, play the Kings. And apparently you'll get a goal. And now, it, at first it was like, if you have a rookie goaltender, he'll have like a great game against the Kings. Now it doesn't matter. If he's a rookie, period, let him play the Kings. He'll <laughs> shine for you. What a great day for him it will be. But but to, to go back a little bit to um, the stats and where they stand, points leader still Andre Kopitar with 37 points, 13 goals, 24 assists. Um, Jeff Carter, still the goals leader. He has 16 points in 15 games which is really what I want to focus on. He is playing so well for the Kings. He didn't um, score last night against the Red Wings, unfortunately. But of those top line guys, the top six guys, he is producing the most. At the same time, though, actually the top two lines are the only lines that have been scoring with any sort of consistency for the Kings for the last few games. 
goals have come from uh, Brown, Williams, Stoll, who's still on the second line right now. Jeff Carter and Kopitar has gotten a couple as well. So it would be nice actually to see those top line guys perform more. But also, clearly the Kings are having depth struggles. Yeah, they haven't scored a goal since Tyler Toffoli's goal, um, I think December 16th. So it's creeping up on a month where the bottom six hasn't done a damn thing to help the Kings in the offense department. And before it was kind of, you know, everyone goes through a slump, everyone struggles, like the Kings had their five-game losing streak, whatever, it's fine. Uh, A season ago, Kopitar had like a 20-game goal goalless streak, but this is getting a little bit ridiculous, I'll say, um, in that they haven't tallied a single goal at all. And maybe for another team where depth wasn't a thing and their top line their top lines were the ones that were supposed to do all the work, but that's not the case here. Like they should be yeah, generating. You need something. a little bit of support. I mean, if there's anything that I have learned from the Anaheim Ducks recently, it's that you can win all the time based mostly of the score on the scoring of like two players. I'm, Ryan Getzlaff. I'm so annoyed by the <laughs> Anaheim Ducks right now. Yeah, no, it's super frustrating. But like Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry have way more points are both in like the 40 points range or something right now and then it drops off back down to the 20s with everybody else so they get some like secondary scoring and some support from death players in anaheim but it's mostly two guys (laughs) who were kind of then you know just buoyed a little bit by everybody else so it's possible which is why the kings continue to look for a consistent um top six left wing and then maybe jeff carter will have some help but still, you don't want to rely on that system. It would be much better if you can just roll four lines and everybody knows how to score. But for whatever reason, the Kings just don't seem to have that chemistry on the bottom six, especially right now, where they can find the combination of guys that allows for those players to net some points. I don't even remember line combos anymore with how often they've been juggled around. And obviously that's in an effort to alleviate the scoring problem, but... I, it's always a surprise to see who's going to jump over the boards and see what combination of people there are. And I think that's very much a detriment to the Kings game um, to have to change it up so often. I think they've been a little consistent, but it is, it has been very different for more than a month now with that King, Kopitar, and Carter line. The fourth line changes the most from game to game. The third line what has been consistent for a while is Mike Richards and Tyler Toffoli, and then that left wing has changed. Uh, right now it's been Matt Fratton with uh, Carcelo gone and whatnot. Matt Fratton's still not a left winger and trying really hard to adapt to it. I would rather see him go back to his natural side. I hope that now that they have Tanner Pearson up here, he plays. We'll see. I don't know. Like Even with the way that the lines have changed, they haven't found the combinations that work consistently enough and they need to do that if they hope to have any success but clearly so far like Daryl Sutter is not really panicking he, he hasn't changed that much like most of the time he'll change like D combinations and then he'll change maybe the fourth line he'll take Colin Frazier out and put Jordan Nolan back in or something like that but for the most part he doesn't seem to panic and it's sort of interesting to see what their choices are it's kind of like well are we going to just wait to see if something clicks or do we need to overhaul things again? I don't know. I would think that after the game that they had against the Wings that Tanner Pearson would be playing on Monday. I hope so. Like, he has to, right? Something's yeah. got to give. 
Yeah. I mean, if you bring somebody who is a natural left winger up and... The interesting thing about Tanner Pearson is that when he was up, he was the worst in terms of possession for the Kings. So he needs to clean that part up. But the thing that I'm not really worried about with the Kings game at this point is I think the possession aspect is so built into their system that he'll pick it up. He'll learn it. So I really want him to get more games to work on that, but also maybe, if possible, balance out some scoring on that third line and, you know, change things a little bit for the depth players. All of this, though, has had me thinking a lot about just the Kings scoring in general and trying to, like a lot of people, sort of figure out what the issue is with the shooting percentage and scoring goals and whatnot. So I was thinking a lot about the year where they first got back into the playoffs. In the the 2008-2009 season was the last, you know, the last time they didn't make the playoffs. And the challenge was they had, like, a goal differential of minus 24 at the end of the season. So they needed to allow fewer goals and score more goals. And for a while, people were like, well, I don't know if that's possible because then the projection was to make the playoffs, they would have to be at somewhere like plus 15, plus 20 or whatever. Could they do it? They did. Like next season, the next season, they had a goal differential of plus 20. They had allowed 15 fewer goals. and But more impressively, they had scored 29 more goals, which is crazy. And so I was wondering why, you know, have they kept those numbers up or anything? So I was looking at more recent years and whatnot. And what I f- saw was that actually the Kings, which we already know, and we can see um, based on possession numbers, they have maintained that trend of allowing fewer and fewer goals. Some of this is goaltending, depending on the year, like 2011, 2012, obviously everybody knows Jonathan Quick was solid through the regular season, through the playoffs, big reason why so few goals were allowed. But even in that like 2009, 2010 year, which was his first full season as a King starter, his regular season save percentage was 907. So for that, the Kings had improved their possession numbers a little bit and just were tighter defensively. On that way, they've gotten strong defensively and in possession-wise, and that's allowed them to allow fewer goals. But since that 2009-2010 year, they haven't been able to score as many goals. They haven't reached that 231. Even, um, obviously, there was a shortened season. In the 2012-2013 season, they were on pace to score 223 goals, which was the closest but obviously shortened season, so it didn't happen, and clearly not as good as that one season. So they're the positive is that they're capable of getting back to that place where they score enough goals. They're just kind of having trouble now. Right now, they are they have scored 113 goals and allowed 93 goals, which is great. Like that goals allowed is awesome. It is the fewest in the league, you know, which we know they have the smallest goals against per game. So obviously those things, those two things correlate. Keep it up. They're a really strong defensive team. They're on pace to score 201 goals this season and allow 165, which is still like a crazy plus 36 goal differential. Last season, I think they had like a plus 26, which was their highest or whatever. And that plus 36 is actually down because of the losing. Recently, they've lost seven of their last 10 games. So that's actually down. If they can figure out even how just to score a little bit more, they'll totally be fine. They'll make the playoffs, whatever, they'll have a shot. But it's just sort of very clear that for whatever reason, offensively, they haven't been able to come up with 
I don't know, structure or line combination or whatever that has been as consistent as their defense has been, which makes me makes me think or wonder if it's not just about, oh, certain players aren't producing, which is a factor, but maybe something systematically, you know, for the Kings that they need to change to allow for better offense or at least offense that can finish. Like, obviously, they generate the possessions, uh, they generate shots something isn't clicking as far as allowing them to actually score the goals that they need to and that they give themselves opportunities for. And maybe it isn't individual players. Maybe it's just something that they need to work on as a franchise. That's probably the most frustrating part is that we you say this about individual players, but as a team as well, there's so much potential. It's not like there's a, a gaping hole in the Kings' roster. And, like, all the pieces are there, and you can see glimpses of it in certain games, certain shifts, certain, you know, goals, whatever, but they can't seem to consistently track what's working and what's not, and it just turns into this, not being able to score, shaking things up, trying to see what works, and it's extremely frustrating yeah, to right see. now, despite all of the losing, they have insane possession numbers in comparison to other teams in the league. They're Fenwick 4 percentage at 5, 5v5 score close is 57.4%. And that's 2.4% higher than the second place team, the Chicago Blackhawks, who are a very, very strong possession team, especially when the score is close. The Kings right now, way ahead of them because of their possession the last few games, despite the fact that they've been losing. Elliot Tiford posted on Twitter, who you know covers the Kings, he said, for what it's worth, the LA Kings have outshot the opposition by 169 to 93 in the last four games. But, you know, as we noted earlier, their uh, record during those four games is 2-1-1. I hate that stat. Yeah, they, they are so capable and they have so much potential and that continues to be the thing that just sort of grinds at everybody is like, we can see that. It's not like they're not a talented team. It's not like they're not talented players, but something isn't working and something's got to give. And I think it puts them in a weird crossroads actually, because then it's like, all right, well, do they trade a bunch of people now? Or, you know, try to figure out maybe if, you know, getting the right individuals who score consistently can help out, which is what they've kind of been working towards and trying to figure out with the left winger thing. The other thing to note is that in the last few years, the Kings team has gotten a lot younger. So at one point they were the youngest in the league, but, you know, then they acquired Robin Regeer and it threw things off. <laughs> Robin Regeer being the old person on the right, team. Yeah, sorry, you're kind of old guy. Um, but yeah, so they're still, oh, in general, a, a pretty young team do you wait for those younger players because a lot of them are in the bottom six like Jordan Nolan Kyle Clifford Tyler Toffoli young guys in the NHL still Um, Jake Muzzin really young guy Uh, it's his first full season with the Kings right now because his last one was a shortened season you have these players do you wait for them to develop and just try to muddle through because the Kings still win more than they lose and that's awesome and that's what they need the point is to make the playoffs or is it like, all right, do we move some of these people and risk them doing really well somewhere else? Or it, it's kind of a weird position to be in, and but eventually you feel like they have to make a decision. As much as I, at this point, I'm kind of just like, okay, fine, trade someone. I'd like to not trade the young, some of the younger guys. I mean, I in I like, I like homegrown boys. <laughs> that sounds really creepy, <laughs> but I like I like guys that have been in the in the system for a while, and I like to see them have the time. Like, they can't be hot all the time. They can't be hot right away. Mm -hmm. So I like to give them time to develop and kind of get their feet wet 
and figure out what they're doing. Um, but then just as a general LA Kings fan, I want them to score some goals and get to the playoffs and be better. And so I've been spending some off time, you know, just tinkering around with uh, Cap Geek's armchair GM function, which is amazing and a lot of fun. Seeing who I would per- like emotionally be okay with trading, um, and figuring out like cap hits and seeing who you could get in return. Mm-hmm. Have you come up with any interesting potential trade options? They've all been literally ridiculous. <laughs> I have been privately touting. Especially because, like, Matt Green has been healthy scratched a lot recently. I was like, well, that's it. Clearly, let's make this statement. Trade uh, Matt Green. Trade Ben Scrimmins. Get Evander Kane in Los Angeles. Make it happen. That's exactly the trade that I made. And the King, or the Kings would be $30,000 under the cap limit. Come on. Do it. It's worth it. <laughs> that's real close. Um, but, yeah. Unless, well, now that they have had a, a coaching change-up... And maybe it's a little bit crazy over there. Maybe Dean Lombardi can work his magic and have some have them retain some of Evander Kane's. Right, uh, right. Fire sale. Oh gosh, that would be so nice. That's the one that I've been entertaining privately and then feeling awful about because I I really like what Ben Scrivens has done, but obviously he's got to go. If you know Martin Jones has proved that he's ready for the NHL, they're gonna they have to bring him back. Ben Scrivens has to go somewhere. I I really like Matt Green, but he's had trouble with injury the last few seasons and his play has been inconsistent so and his contract is up soon he has to he's you know he's up to either renew or whatever so i just think it's a possibility i'm sorry i'm a monster i don't think you're a monster at all that's the first <laughs> trade that i made when i opened it up we'll see although my green might be in now because um jake muzzin has shown his inconsistency and his inexperience this last game. So maybe Matt Green will have an opportunity to prove why he still needs to be around these next few games. I like Matt Green as a person, um, but get me in <laughs> I would uh, okay. consider it a solid done. Thanks, Matt Green. Really appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, so we've touched on it a little bit, so let's just, like, just really nail down the roster changes that have happened since last week. We talked about Martin Jones probably being sent back down to the AHL, like we said, the Kings only carried three goalies for that one game. Martin Jones was sent back. Cool news about Martin Jones, though, is he was named to the AHL's 2014 All-Star Classic team, along with London Vey. They're going to play uh, one of the top teams in the Swedish Hockey League. I only looked at the roster like once or twice, so I'm sorry if this is incorrect, but at first glance, it seemed like they were maybe the only or at least one of the few teams that had multiple players named to that AHL All-Star team. So that's pretty dope. That's really awesome. Uh, I think it's particularly funny because if I recall correctly, it's uh, him and Jake Allen in net for uh, the All-Star game, (laughs) and I had Canadian people yelling at me. Um, about the World Junior Championship back in 2010, and Canada got second place with the two of them oh. in net. And so I just got texts being like, flashbacks, this is terrible. Oh no, what's going to happen? Canada oh, no. needs to win. Um, so that was good times for me. I am very excited for them. That's really cool. But also I want to see both of them back with the Kings sooner rather than later. So if they we could make that happen, Los Angeles, let's get it together. During during the Kings radio broadcast, the post game last night, there was some talk very briefly about benching Mike Richards in favor of playing Lyndon Vey for a little while. Obviously you'd need to make some roster moves to really make that happen. But it was interesting 
that that was being thrown out there. I think people are really excited about uh, not only Martin Jones, obviously, and his start that he had, but what Lyndon Bay brings to the table. I think he could be a really, really strong center in this King system. So both of them need to come back. That'd be so... That'd be really weird to see Mike Richards... On the bench. Um, <laughs> on the bench. Uh, because it's the Kings aren't the Oilers. You know, you're not going to see Nail Yakupov... Uh, or, I mean, like Nail Yakupov, who is healthy scratched a, a couple of times. Right. Um, that's not what the Kings tend to do. Um, so it would be extremely strange to see Mike Richards be healthy scratched. Yeah. I think... Because that's just so unlike him. This it That's just so strange. Yeah, I think right now it's nearly impossible to sit Mike Richards because of, you know, of that, like, all of those bottom six people. He is, without a doubt, the best player and the most experienced player. You're thinking, like, if any, or at least I'm thinking, if anybody's going to get those guys going, it has to be Mike Richards. But he's struggled recently. Like, last night he had an okay game. It was fine. He's had a couple other okay games. You know, but he's also, he hasn't scored in, I think it's 22 games now. He's getting points again. He actually got a secondary assist last night. You know, if anybody's going to get them going, it has to be Mike Richards. So you got to keep him around. And I feel like until he really starts lighting it up and allows his line to light it up again, it's kind of like, why sit him? Because really, who else is going to, you know, take on that responsibility of being that motivation guy and that sort of leader in that sense, as far as like producing? I don't know, but... Trevor Lewis. Yeah, yeah, energy guy Trevor Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me really sad every day that I don't get to use the thing that I've been working on to celebrate Trevor Lewis. I am taking it so personally at this point. Can he please just score a goal? Just one. I am I am almost convinced that he's not going to score a goal this season. Ugh. Just like almost. Maybe maybe like in in March. Yeah. He's gonna wait. March third. He's gonna I don't wait until close to the end of the season as possible. I want to. I just want to start taking bets. Like, let's everyone pick a date that you think that Trevor Lewis will store, score a goal. Get a pool going. When will Trevor yeah. Lewis score? That would be that would be fun because it really has become just a huge game and joke. Yes, March third. Okay, that's gonna be my, my choice. <laughs> that's the date that you pick. Uh, okay, now I have to look at look at what their games are so I can pick a day. Hold on a second. I, I I just picked a day. I didn't even look at uh, at who they were playing, but they're playing the Canadians. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I hope it's sooner than that, but I don't know if I'm really ready to like guarantee that it'll happen. I want to try to pick an unlikely one. What is the most unlikely? Unlikely, but not Chicago, because I feel like that's too easy. So, I was about to say Chicago. Yeah. That's too easy. Maybe the Sharks. True. That's a good one. That's a good one. Maybe or Pittsburgh. the Penguins. Yeah. Maybe I'll go. With, I'll go with Pittsburgh. Let's say Trevor Lewis scores January thirtieth. It's coming soon, so he needs to get it together. And we'll be the, we'll be there at that game. So yes, we're going. <laughs> it. Oh my gosh! Please now. Yeah. Trevor Lewis score on the thirtieth. Right. So that's what I'm going to say. He's going to score. He's already. I've already tried to predict what he was going to score a few times before. I've been grossly wrong. <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't have a lot of faith in this pick, but that's the one I'm going with. I was about to be like, oh, yeah, Trevor Lewis, like, skates around sit. Oh, he's not going to be on the ice with Sidney Crosby. He is not going to do anything against Sidney Crosby <laughs> except maybe fall over, so. Maybe he will accidentally end up on the ice. Because also, I, I watch uh, I watch a number of Pens games, and the last few games, because the Pens have been actually playing not super great, 
they have been double shifting Sidney Crosby a little more. So you never know who Sidney Crosby is going to be on the ice with. It could be Trevor Lewis, and Trevor Lewis could have his moment. It's possible. I need to bring streamers to that game and just throw them at everyone. <laughs> have, like, the confetti ready to go. It'll be like uh, us rewatching that video of the Philly stink bomb, except for instead of a stink bomb, it's just, like, all party favors. I was just about to say that. I was like, if someone can smuggle in a stink bomb to throw at a Flyers game, then by all means, I can th- uh, smuggle in, like, a bag full of confetti and just throw it in everyone's faces <laughs> around me. Where's all this glitter coming from? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> As I'm violently yelling, you don't understand, Trevor Lewis just scored a goal. This is important business. Diane being carried out because she's too happy about Trevor Lewis. Yeah, it'll be like right after the commercial break, like when you come back in and, you know, sometimes the camera guy will be like, oh, there's been a flare up between two fans. Uh, It's going to be like me being carted out because I'm too happy. (laughs) Right, yeah. She's dropped glitter on the ice. It's a problem. She had to be Oh, but sitting where we're sitting, I'm just going to throw it on his, on like on the players. (laughs) Just lob it over onto his head, probably. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm down for it. I'm quite excited. So Trevor Lewis, make it happen. I will bring a bag of glitter to this. Not glitter, but uh, confetti. All right. So, but that, we've talked a lot now about how the Kings are having scoring troubles. They have a very interesting t- time coming up because they have one more home game, and then they have to take their couple weeks of a road trip to get out of Staples Center because of the Grammys and whatnot. Happens every year. Now it's coming up. But it means that they have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven away games. Um, Eight if you include the Dodger Stadium game. But basically they're not on home ice again until the end of the month when they play the Penguins. So they have actually been all right on the road with the exception of obviously of that last road trip where they were an embarrassment the entire time. It could turn out very interestingly, but they don't play really any easy teams, and they have two different back-to-backs, so they got to get it together and start scoring some more goals. Quick has to have plenty of strong games, and then they can pull out some more points for this month. They really can't let this month be a waste of time. Especially, like, going into the Olympic break, you know, racking all the wins that you can, racking all of, like, the good karma, the momentum that you can before taking that long break. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Speaking of the Olympics, we now know all of the players who have been selected for Olympic teams. There's six from the Kings. Kopitar, Carter, Dowdy, Brown, Quick, and Voinov is officially part of Team Russia. We said he probably was last time. He definitely is now. That's pretty cool. I like that they posted his interview about it and he just spoke in russian even when people asked him questions in english he was like whatever i'm just talking russian uh yeah that made me that made me laugh a lot because like you can just tell that they're probably just like zoning out as he answers his question like no one's nodding along they're just like here's my question and then he just talks for a little while and then they're just like looking off into the distance (laughs) yeah um the other thing that i thought was really funny was when team canada was announced both dowdy and uh, jeff carter were asleep Dowdy missed the first phone call and Jeff Carter answered it and then like hung up and rolled back over and went back to bed because they were on the West Coast and it was seven in the morning. Uh, That was my favorite part. And 100% Dowdy typical being like, yeah, no, I didn't answer my phone at seven in the morning. It was late (laughs) then. That's a fake time. Why would I do that? And and yeah, that that really amuses me that Jeff Carter gets this call about being on the Canadian Olympic team. And he said in in an interview that, you know, he's been working for it you know, for the past four years and was very excited about it, but, like, heard about it and uh, just, like, rolled over, went back to bed. 
uh, his girlfriend said later that she had to like half wake him up and be like, "What was that?" Right. The team. So <laughs> like ask him about it, but he was just like, eh, "Whatever, yeah, made it." Yeah, I, I was asleep for half an hour. <laughs> it's it's cool. I a couple things about Jeff Carter. First of all, Jeff Carter has now played in a hundred games uh, as an LA King. That's really dope. He continues to be a great decision by the Kings organization. I love watching him play. Great player. Second of all, I also enjoy laughing at Jeff Carter sometimes because when Team Canada was announced, Dowdy gave an interview at morning skate or practice. I can't remember if it was. I think it was morning skate because they had a game that night. So Dowdy gives an interview, some quotes about it. Jeff Carter, for some reason, it's the reporters are told he won't be talking to anybody about the Team Canada thing until after the game. But the Kings organization released an official statement on Jeff Carter's behalf with some quotes from him. I find it very amusing that he is just clearly a guy who has to take some time to collect himself. He is just like not cool with making off the cuff uh, remarks to the media. It's so not funny. into it. Like whether it's good news or bad news, you made Team Canada, and like obviously the time varies. If it's good news, it takes like twelve hours for him to collect himself and think about it. <laughs> if it's bad news, he's disappearing for four days. <laughs> Oh, amazing. I just find it so funny. And of course, then I made like way too many jokes about the fact that he needed to collect himself so that he wouldn't make any like ridiculous comments about how Mike Richards should be on the team, even though it wouldn't have mattered since everybody else (laughs) who wanted a friend on the team and wasn't on the team has brought it up. Um, Yeah. I mean, if Sidney Crosby can bring Chris Kunitz. Yeah. Come on. His best bud, then Jeff Carter should be able to bring his little his little pal, Mike Richards. Exactly. People were like, Chris Kunitz is Sidney Crosby's security blanket. What about Jeff Carter? Where, where, where's his security item? His security item Aww. named Mike Richards. Poor buddies. I, nobody was really surprised, necessarily, that he didn't make Team Canada. They had a lot of depth and a lot of people to choose from. But it was a question that was asked, you know, why didn't Mike Richards make the team. I am a total wretch and was quite annoyed at Mike Richards for not playing super well. So I was like, obviously it was because he sucked. But I don't actually think that it's true, to be fair to Mike Richards. I think they had a lot of centers and it seems like with the bare ice this time in the Olympics, they were really focusing on playing guys in their natural positions or guys who are just like proven to be able to switch. Jeff Carter can play two positions. He'll probably play wing, but he can play center if he needs to. Mike Richards is mostly a center. He tried to play wing some, but it's not really his strong suit. So if you're not going to play him at center, it's like, all right, we got a bunch of guys who can play center. You know, you got Patrice Bergeron, Jonathan Taves, Sidney Crosby. I forget who the other one is. I did this last time too when I was talking to somebody about it. Sorry, guy. But um, either either way, Canada is an embarrassment embarrassment of riches in all of their forward positions. Yeah, yeah. So it's not really like an embarrassment that he wasn't chosen, and he can just cry to himself while clutching his 2010 gold medal. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's cool. It's, it's probably okay. <laughs> he'll survive. She's gonna take. A He's going to Hawaii. Now. He'll be right. all right. Yes. So he'll be cool. But uh, yeah, I. I, I do think it's not actually because Mike Richards has sucked at points at this during this season. I think it's just because they got too many people who could do his job. Although I will uh, will enjoy also making jokes about if Canada somehow you know doesn't win anything, talking about how part of that is because they didn't take the guy who wins at every level. That's true. Just like how if the USA loses, everyone will blame that Bobby Ryan wasn't on the team. Right. Yeah. We can make j- jokes about how like. 
Obviously, Mike Richards is a damn winner. Should have had him on the Canadian team. Mike Richards, you would have won. He always wins. Unless he's playing in a series against Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. (laughs) Then he cannot win. (laughs) Oh, so sad. (laughs) One day he'll win that too. (laughs) Maybe. In just like a personal pickup game, he makes it his like life goal. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, I think it's pretty exciting. The number, like there were other teams that had more players going to the Olympics, but the Kings, I think it's really exciting because they only have four countries represented and all of those countries wanted Kings players. Uh, one of those is a shoe in because it's Andre Kopitar <laughs> <laughs> in Team Slovenia and he's the only Slovenian player in the NHL. But still, it counts. And apparently the Red Wings, as we saw yesterday, make up the entirety of the Swedish team. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Oh, man. Some Team USA on Team USA crime with the goalies last night with Jimmy Howard and Jonathan Quick. Unfortunate. But then Jimmy Howard got was, like, injured after the game. I don't know what you did, Dustin I've, Brown, but I'm sure you were the reason, they will say. Uh, Dustin Brown just wanted him to make, looking out for his boy Quickie. <laughs> yeah. You may win here, but you will not take the starter position. Um, as terrible as it sounds, I don't want it to be like a, a serious injury. Maybe just like a game or just a, a note that there's like some sort of upper body injury or, or whatever. I want for like every game that someone plays against the Kings to have like a, a mildly injured player. <laughs> that Dustin Brown had some kind of contact with, I think is the yeah, extra Yeah, part exactly. Of, some part passing contact, something... And I want that to be a recurring theme because I think it is hilarious. Yeah. Um, it also lends more to the peop- the fact that people just don't like Dustin Brown. Oh, um, people hate him. At all. Of course. And uh, I just think it'd be funny. Unless you're a Kings fan, you probably hate Dustin Brown. Even some Kings fans hate Dustin Brown and think he's dirty or whatever. I find all of his shenanigans... Hilarious. I mean, obviously, there have been some times where he has made some super, super bad calls, but he plays on the edge. Sometimes he gets himself in trouble. Guys get hurt. I'm not excited about people getting injured, but I don't actually think Dustin Brown is like a headhunter or anything. So for the most part, I'm just mildly amused that he somehow always finds himself in these questionable positions. Starting with the whole... Uh, hurdle thing and moving on downwards I'm delighted yeah but yeah like no one has to miss like a game or anything right like they don't have to just be like oh yeah he was like slightly injured feeling a little sore whatever maybe (laughs) it's the practice uh game day decision uh whatever okay so but this around one thing that's great actually to move on to this I made a little post about it because I thought it was awesome when I realized that the kings were part of it TSN is producing a short documentary series called reorientation, which talks about um, being gay and sports culture in general, but including the NHL and they have um, the Kings. I don't know if they're the only hockey players who were talked to in this documentary, but they're the ones that on the website or whatever have been featured. And so there's already one clip up with Dustin Brown and Ben Scribbins talking about the idea of like whether or not being gay is something considered a distraction and if that's part of why players don't come out or might think that they don't want to or you know don't feel encouraged to and Ben Scribbins and Dustin Brown were both like it's maybe people are thinking that way guys have thought that way in the locker room but regardless of that they think that even if a player doesn't want to come out publicly that they would hopefully feel comfortable to come out to their fellow teammates and not be ridiculed and would be supported and whatnot, which I think is really cool. 
I like that the Kings continue to be, in general, such a well-respected organization in terms of how players view them and what they hear about them, that they are an organization that treats you right, and that locker room, and, you know, especially with having a captain like Dustin Brown who doesn't hesitate to participate in things like this. I think it's really great that they have an environment that is very supportive of each other. I loved it when it came out, because they also, or Dustin Brown and Alec Martinez did the You Can Play spot, that... I think the story was that they were supposed to do it sometime, but, like, couldn't fit it into their schedule. So they're like, no, 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 it's fine. Right before we have our Stanley Cup championship party thing right, at the Staples yeah. Center, we'll be more than happy to, you know, uh, film this little spot for you guys. Yeah, let's just do it then. It's cool. So that's that's really cool. I, I very much enjoy that the, the Kings organization is very open and supportive of, of all types of things. Yeah, I issues, can. I guess that people may have. Yeah, I. I think. I mean, I would love to see them do more stuff that you can play. Thing happened in 2012. It's 2014 now. And now this documentary thing is happening. Happening. It would be great to see them do more stuff. I think is is frustrating as I find the Canucks organization when they're on the ice. Like the team is a frustrating team to watch play. As a franchise, they seem to do really great things all the time in terms of inclusivity, and I really respect that. And so I would love to see the Kings do more, but I am also really appreciative of the things that they do sign on to and talk about and whatnot. It makes me really happy to support a team that is more progressive in how it views both sports culture and, you know, and also just that seem to care about each other. I like it. Yeah, as much as, as nice as it would be for them to be more proactive in sort of encouraging the whole inclusivity at every in every aspect. Um, it is nice to know that they are publicly taking a stance. Yeah. And um, a stance in support. And so that's a good a good start. Mm-hmm. So that reorientation thing airs, the first part airs Wednesday, January 15th, and then the other two parts air the 16th and 17th. So it airs pretty fast. It'll be online. I'm going to watch it whenever um, it's up and I am able to. I think other people should watch it. It seems like it'd be... It could be very interesting. Um, like again, it's not just hockey players. Like even in the clip with Dustin Brown and Ben Scriven's Chris Cluey, isn't it? Who was the NFL player who has been very vocal about sports culture and homophobia in it and uh, speaking out against it and whatnot. So it, it looks it looks cool. And I assume that people read it, but he also wrote that great right, piece yeah. in Deadspin about uh, about his experience being booted from the the Vikings. That, that touched on all of that. I assume everyone read it, but if not, mm-hmm. definitely check it out. It's very, it's an interesting look into into how the sports world functions. On a completely different note now, moving away from that, I have been very happy for Andre Kopitar's brother, Gasper, who is playing with the Ontario Reign. And since he has started playing for them, there have been a couple interesting pieces, one from John Rosen for the LA Kings main site, called Lucent Rain, and then uh, Gamma Suda wrote one for Frozen Royalty, but was called uh, Gaspar Kobitar Forever Skating and Big Brother Andre's Shadow. And they both just talk about how, or like what it's been like for Gaspar Kobitar to have an older brother like Andre, who plays really well and who's always been really well respected and lauded for his abilities, and how people want to compare them all the time. But Gasper doesn't play anything like his brother. And I guess for a while, he thought maybe he wouldn't pursue professional hockey anymore. Took a couple of months off, came to the U.S. to stay with his family. 
then decided that he did want to play again and has found a place and opportunity with the Ontario Reign. It's um, it's really cool. And I'm also, because I'm such a sucker for family in general, very charmed by the fact that uh, uh, Andre Kopitar went to his brother's <laughs> games and also apparently they had an away game in Vegas and he like watched it online. I don't know. It, I'm a dope, but that it was great to me. <laughs> I always just yell family and shake my <laughs> yeah. computer. I was very charmed. And just like happiness. <laughs> I like seeing people support their their yeah. siblings. It's very nice. Like the, when whenever the the Subans through like the whole draft and all of the the boys entering the the NHL, I was just like weeping and yelling family. So good. I love it. I love it. Um, although, you know, guess where Kovatar's struggles never start, be- or never stop, I should say, because Anjay is on the Olympic team, and their dad is coaching it. Gasper did make the team. A rough time for him, always. But uh, hopefully he'll, he will continue to enjoy some success with the Ontario Reign, and eventually uh, Diane and I will make it out to see a game. Soon. One day very soon we will go. <laughs> I guess the last sort of Kings thing that I wanted to bring up because I'm constantly like we've been critical of the way the NHL reaches out to fans in the past. But a thing that they are doing that is cool, because I want to be fair, is they have a beginner's workshop with Daryl Evans. And it's not like he, he skates with people pretty regularly throughout the season at different points. He'll do little workshops or whatever to skate with people. Here's one that they have coming up this month. It is a beginning workshop for adults 18 plus 30 spots is 525 dollars which it's not like that's chump change but you get quite a bit of stuff um including a full set of hockey gear four hours of on ice instruction with Terrell Evans, both at an arena in burbank and then also at staples center which is pretty cool and then on top of that you get two tickets 200 level tickets to one of the king's games their uh, march 3rd game against the canadians which as we noted earlier diane has picked to be the game where trevor lewis finally scores so not a bad game to go to. <laughs> uh, but I think that's really cool. I I don't have $525 to spend right now. But if I did, I might participate in something like this. I think it's really great when they reach out to fans in this way and try to get people more involved in the game. And so I thought I would bring it up to commend them just to show that I am not always a negative asshole. Wait, I want to do this now. No, yeah, it sounds super fun. I want Daryl Evans to teach me how to play hockey. I'm, like, trying to think of if I can just float $525 when I'm about to go on, like, a two-week vacation. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, the timing is just wrong for me. But I do think that they should do things like this more. And if they do them next season as well, I think we should be better prepared for it and try to go. I agree. I think that would be awesome. If they did some like, in the summer, maybe... Or just anything like that, I would be so fun all over it. I wish Jim Fox would show up because I I just want to know if Jim Fox is in person. Like if he's the way that he is on Twitter in person, it will be the best experience for me. Jim Fox is the greatest. He seems great, and he seems like the kind of person who will also, after he's had a glass of wine, talk to you both with plenty of exclamation points, and then at some point cry joyfully over something. And I bet it's wonderful. <laughs> To just be around him. He's just, like, so relentlessly happy and, yeah. like, positive. Um, it's fantastic. Like, him and Bailey. Yeah. Just, like, together, how could you be sad? Big hit and down. I'm not sure he's okay. Uh, there's no question that this one's a penalty. A large five-minute major penalty power play for the King. All right. Five-minute majors. 
Only a few topics today. I'm going to run through them and then we'll talk about them. First, on Monday, P.K. Subban um, got a penalty at the end of the Habs-Senators game, which he thought, or posited, might have been personal. And that was very interesting. And then in uh, an Avs game on Tuesday versus Calgary, Ryan O'Reilly, they were celebrating a goal. Dude gets injured. What? That's weird. Another note, Sportsnet mentions that HBO might be trying to do a 24-7 type dealio for the playoffs instead of the Winter Classic. And then finally, today, the Winnipeg Jets fire their head coach. That was interesting news to wake up to. That was actually the, the ding on my phone that I uh, woke up to was Game Center being like, and Claude Noel is uh, fired. Right, yeah. I saw that, and then I also had a text message from uh, our, a mutual friend of ours who really likes the Winnipeg Jets and was quite upset about it. But it, I don't it's think so it's It's so funny surprising. that she likes the Jets. I don't get it. She loves Andrew Ladd. <laughs> I know she does. <laughs> uh, so to go back to the P.K. Savan thing. So it was very interesting because he gets called for penalty with 18 seconds left in the game. And during the post game, he was, he, he didn't come off really angry, but was very straightforward. And that, like, he was like, I don't think that was a penalty. I would like an explanation for it. Posited that, like, he thought that the ref who made the call was going after him and it was personal. And people were like, could you clarify that? And he was saying, well, if it doesn't make sense for the game itself as a penalty, then what does that leave you with, essentially? That's not the exact quote, but that was the vibe. Then he had an informal discussion, it was reported, with the NHL about the penalty at the end of the game. Nothing seems to have come from it. I don't think he was reprimanded or anything, but I thought it was very interesting that he did question a league and ask for an explanation on that, and then they apparently actually did talk to him. I don't think that will become a trend necessarily with NHL players, but I thought it was an interesting display for him to be like, look, I don't know about that call. Somebody should talk to me about it. And then they did. That's a, the whole thing with refs and calling penalties and things like that is I always end up thinking about, you know, game management um, in terms of what, like, what's a really weak call, but you kind of have to make that call because you made a real shit call, you know, for the opposing team five minutes before. Um, so it makes me wonder about kind of things, penalties that players could construe as being, you know, personal. It's, it's, I don't know if cool, it's very different that he chose to spoke out about it. But I mean, PK Subban has been dragged over the coals over the dumbest things forever. So I mean, by all means, he has every right to kind of to be just be like, hey, I think someone has a problem with me and is taking it out uh, on me during the game, like on me and my team. So that yeah, that was an interesting thing that that happened there. I, d I definitely don't think that it's going to become an ongoing trend of players being vocal. But yeah, I would love to be a fly in the wall on the wall for that informal conversation. Uh, yeah, I was actually sort of surprised that it didn't become, like, a big thing. It was like, he said something, and then they talked to him, and then that was kind of it. Where I feel like in the past, because it's P.K. Subban, who, like you said, people love to complain about and whatnot, it could have turned into something that was, like, semi-dramatic and talking about how he was disrespectful or something stupid. But I thought it was pretty cool that both his demeanor in that post game is like, I just don't agree with that. And I, I mean, I have to watch it again. I would like somebody to talk to me about it. And then they did. And that was kind of it. And that I kind of commend everybody involved for that, actually, because <laughs> I was going to be quite upset if it turned into like an issue where 
he was sort of being reprimanded for questioning them at all. But um, that doesn't seem to be the case. So that's pretty cool. I, I, yeah, I find the whole thing with refs in general uh, interesting because of the fact that, or I've read articles about how, like, when they make a goal call on the ice, it rarely gets overturned, or it has rarely gotten overturned this season. And so it can seem sometimes like referees are infallible, and that's not necessarily true, and it's not like the refs were called out for making a bad call here or something like that, but I think it's at least cool that they are not totally opposed to meeting with players and sort of explaining what happened and what their position is as well. For the truly ridiculous, though, Ryan O'Reilly hurt his shoulder while celebrating the Avs' third goal during the game against Calgary by Paul Stasny. Essentially, he got jammed while extending his arms into the group hug. If you look at the video, and I will try to link it on our site when I post this podcast, but if you look at the video, it is it is really funny and kind of baffling because everybody does just go in for this hug, and then suddenly he's leaving and like clutching his shoulder. There have been plenty of weird hockey injuries, <laughs> but you would think that celebrating a goal and giving somebody a hug would be a pretty safe space. That's That's partying like too hard right there. Um, yeah. that is that is the definition of a freak accident because <laughs> that is crazy like i'm so ha- i'm in huge amounts of pain right now i'm not happy anymore whoa calm it down apparently apparently ryan o'reilly too excited or i guess paul stastny too if he's the one who caused it just wanted to get in on that hug so bad that he's gonna injure other players to do so it's the it's the opposite of dustin brown yeah, yeah that's <laughs> paul stastny uh, just going in for the, the big hugs and injuring someone. <laughs> it's too bad. But it's, like, so interesting because it looks like he sort of even skates in. Ryan O'Reilly looks like he skates in after everybody. And so nobody is even really looking at him or, like, specifically interacting with him. He just kind of bumps into someone and messes himself up. Get it together, Ryan O'Reilly. Um, I can laugh about it because he's fine. He is back in the lineup. He scored two goals for the Avs against the Wild the other day. He's totally cool. So it is just like a weird freak accident that was pretty hilarious to see. HBO. And so, okay, a couple of people have speculated, namely, I will say uh, Steve Lepore, have speculated that the relationship between HBO and the NHL regarding 24-7 could dissolve because... There was a lot of criticism about, like, this 24-7, this past one, being less interesting than the others. Also, the NHL is doing NHL Revealed and trying to do their own, more of their own documentary programming about those type of events. So we could see no more Road to Winter Classics um, in coming years. Maybe. We'll see. But... Sportsnet posted an article that started out actually about Team Canada and whatnot, but sort of buried in the bottom, among other news bits, was this quote. I will read it to you. It says, Those who found the third season of HBO's 24-7 less compelling than the previous two might be interested to know that the cable network hopes to take the -the behind-the-scenes concept to another level by getting embedded during the playoffs. Word has it that some NHL teams have already been approached to gauge their interest, and at least one is open to the idea. While it probably won't be pulled together by this spring, according to a source, it can't, it would be can't miss TV for hockey fans if it ever happened. Um, this isn't the first time, obviously, that it's been mentioned. I've read past interviews during um, other Road to Winter Classic series where they say the problem with that is it sort of gets a little stale. Everybody knows kind of what's coming, and obviously the playoffs are a more exciting, volatile um, environment. 
and it could be more interesting for casual fans to watch a behind the scenes of a playoff run. I don't know. I think it would be awesome. I would love to see it. I don't know if I'm convinced that enough teams would ever truly be open to it. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, in this past one, we saw the HBO cameras get kicked out of the the locker room. So during a time like the playoffs when everyone's just got to put their head down and focus, I don't know how many teams would be so like very willing right. to let strangers into their into their rooms. I, I feel like it could just depend on picking the team most likely to win because if you have a run. Like, for instance, the Kings 2012 run where they went up 3-0 and in every series and then got plenty of rest. Like, as intense as that environment probably was, it was probably one of the more relaxed playoff environments because they were doing so well and had so much time to rest in between. Like, for instance, the fact that they filmed that very quick uh, cabbie thing with, like, three King, like, you know, three of the Kings with um, Mike Richards, Jeff Carter, and Jared Stoll between playoff series and they did plenty of interviews and whatnot so that might be kind of an ideal but then again it also depends on somehow sort of guessing which team is going to do the best but yeah and if and if they're allowed to kick camera crews out or whatever it could be kind of disastrous but <laughs> it would be I would like so to interesting it. to see because obviously everything is ramped up to 11 and so it would be so interesting to see all the behind the scenes because uh, i love behind the scenes stuff so um i'd like to see I don't know, their traditions, like, what they do to kind of prepare themselves on the day-to-day, but I definitely think that's way too intrusive. Uh, Like, for the players, like, I don't think that it's going to be anything that uh, in-depth. Yeah, it seems like a lot for them to try to to deal with all at once, like, both staying focused on the game, but also allowing access to these outside crews. I I don't know, if it comes together, it it could totally be awesome. Um, I am just not convinced that I think the NHL uh, will ever actually reach that point. But one team seems to be interested so far, and maybe that's all it takes is one. So we'll see. I think it's cool that they're still pursuing it. All right, we already talked about a little bit about the Winnipeg Jets firing their head coach, Claude Noel, and they also fired their assistant coach, Perry Pern. Paul Maurice has been named the interim coach, but who cares, really? That's not really why we're talking about this. Like we mentioned earlier, the interesting thing is now that the Winnipeg Jets are making moves, it'll be interesting to see if they trade any more players. They're similar to the Kings in some ways. They are a very unlucky team right now, the Winnipeg Jets. But some of that is just they just haven't been getting enough production from their goaltender. Their starting goaltender, Andres Pavelek, has an 8.98 save percentage so far this season. That's abysmal. There's really no other way to say it. It's terrible. Who has mm, some goaltenders to get rid of, or at least one? Oh, the Los Angeles Kings. <laughs> Let's just talk about that. We got We got a spare goaltender too to, to yeah. deal out. So nobody is really talking super seriously about there being a trade between Winnipeg and LA at this point. But um, it seems like it could potentially be an interesting deal if uh, if they want to pursue it. Um, but I think it's funny because I have friends who are Hurricanes fans, and uh, Paul Maurice obviously coached the Hurricanes twice um, in his career, and they're like, haha, good luck <laughs> with that. So, very amusing and interesting to see if this will help the Jets at all. I mean, the Kings obviously had a good midseason coaching change around this time, but 
Um, we'll see if it mm-hmm. works for the Jets. I think it's always fascinating how much or how often coaches get recycled because you would, I mean, on the one hand, it's like just like with any team, maybe if that coach finds the right chemistry with the team, it can work. But just sort of on a basic level, it's kind of like, all right, that dude could make it work for this other team. What makes you think he's going to make it work for uh, this new one? <laughs> Third time's a charm. Right, yeah. So uh, this this could work out for Paul Maurice. I don't know. Maybe not. Anyway, I think that's all we got for this week. Um, I would like to say in the whole uh, HBO 24-7 on the playoffs, maybe people like uh, Brandon Sutter, maybe not wander around naked oh, in the background. Yeah. Ooh, I saw people talking about that. So for anybody that doesn't know... <laughs> I, was it during, like, a post-game? I assume. A root sports. It, it was a post-game. Someone was getting interviewed. Crystal Tang was in the background, like, eating something. And then Sutter was just in the back yeah. naked. So, yeah. Root sports accidentally shows um, Brandon Sutter's junk on television. Oopsie. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. I, I didn't look at it because I never want to see a Sutter peen. I never want to <laughs> see it. Never, ever. I look at all of them always. <laughs> if someone's like, oh, look, this happened, I'm like, all right, I'm clicking on it. So <laughs> let's see what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> it happened to him. It happened to uh, Brian Campbell, Yuri Tolesti. Uh He joins a, a list of people who has flashed their penis on television. Um, this includes the LA Kings captain, Dustin Brown. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> Whose junk has also been exposed. This is a weird club to be a part of. But <laughs> welcome, I guess, Brandon Center. So there's that. Uh, so that's that's the parting note that I had that I was really excited to talk about for <laughs> that's a good these, one. like, two minutes. <laughs> right. So so that's uh, where we're, we're going to say it. Um, news, uh, camera crews, be more careful. Dudes, be more careful about where those cameras are. You could have yourself exposed on television. Unless Sorry. that's what you want, then, you know, more power to you. True. Get on with your uh, your uh, exhibition itself. I probably should have mentioned this at the top of this episode, but whatever, I'm going to say it now. We are, in addition to being on iTunes, we are on Stitcher. So if you prefer Stitcher, listen there. If you want to follow us, and you you should, because we're fun, you can follow us at ThanksBud, but also both of us tweet individually. I am at Chanel Berlin. And I'm at AKA Diane Fan. I think especially like for me, I tend to tweet about non-Kings hockey teams more on my personal Twitter. So if you are interested in that, like when I watch like the Pens or my like disastrous increasing obsession with the tire fire that is the Toronto Maple Leafs, feel free to follow us individually um, to see any of that. Uh, otherwise, we'll catch you next week. And it's been fun this week. Hopefully the Kings win some more games. They managed to three points. I don't know, half of the possible points they could have gotten this week. Whatevs. But hopefully they win more, and we can talk about that and be super happy when we come next week. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Until then, bye, everybody. Bye.